Welcome to episode 7 of Coffee with Crime. I'm Alexi. I'm Lewis. And good morning. Good morning. We are doing something a little different today. We are. This is our first time doing uh, an episode in the morning. Yes, at this ungodly hour. <laughs> but we do have our coffee. We do so have our coffee. That's um, going to help. This is like the middle of the night for me, you know. <laughs> 9 15 <laughs> <laughs> a.m it's the middle of your night um yeah i mean and it's the and um and it's the middle of the morning for me yeah. so we are i don't see you like at this time very often no no this so is you're extra you know chipper and stuff <laughs> yes <laughs> your hair looks really extra good oh thank you you know maybe what? yeah the morning is like your prime time well yeah thank you Thank you. You look amazing as well, though. So every time <laughs> is you. your prime time. Um, the coffee for today is um, something I didn't really know that we were going to do. It kind of came as a surprise because a friend of mine uh, kind of uh, gave it to me to uh, check out. Um, it's from a roaster called Verena Street based in Dubuque, Iowa, and it is a medium roast. It says it's, this coffee was done in collaboration with Blaum Brothers Distillery, I'm assuming somewhere close to Dubuque, and it's called Nodder Bourbon, barrel-aged Sumatra. So this would probably be classified as a flavored coffee. I don't know if it was actually aged in barrels, I'm assuming it was. And if it was, it would be very interesting to know whether it was aged before the coffee was roasted or after, because obviously after the coffee is roasted, it's kind of like, you know, you got to, that's, that's like the sweet spot. That's the window where you want to drink it in within that two weeks of, of it being roasted. So uh, I'm assuming that it was aged before, but in that case, the roasting would have diminished some of the flavor that came from the, uh, barrels so uh i yeah there's a lot i don't know about this but it was it says it was roasted um april 6th so mm. pretty recently roasted and it smells uh, very like you when i walked it. in you I, it's it was very like yeah immediate. it's not a typical coffee yeah. smell so um let's do the most important thing which is tasting it All cheers right, cheers Hmm. I like it a lot. I mean, it's definitely different. Yeah, it's very different. It's really good, though. It kind of... Hmm. I mean, it definitely has kind of like a, an alcohol taste almost. Yeah, it does. Um. Yeah, it, I like it. Hmm. Uh, it. To me, it tastes darker than medium roast. It tastes like more of a dark roast. Okay. Well, you um, would know that more than I would because... But, uh, yeah, I can, I can taste, yeah, I can taste the, the, uh, the bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's almost there. like drinking coffee with like something in it like that. Right. Yeah. But, like a, like a shot of, of, bur- uh, of yeah, <laughs> whiskey <bourbon>. flavoring. <laughs> it's good. It's, I like yeah. it. Um, I'm glad we got this because, uh, flavored coffees, a lot of people drink them. And uh, we haven't done one yet. We've been doing pretty pure, like single origin stuff, or you know, not definitely haven't done a flavored coffee yet. But this is one, uh, and I've never had anything that was flavored in a like a alcohol flavor. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's good. Um, I I probably I I usually don't go for flavored coffees. I usually try to go for like the actual bean because there's just so much flavor that that can be in within the that bean itself. But um, so yeah, with the with the extra flavor, I'm kind of getting almost like a, I don't know, like a, like a plastic kind of flavor with when with the aftertaste. Really, hmm. I don't get that. I don't get the plastic flavor, but, hmm. but I mean, it's, it's yeah. It's definitely different. not bad. Thank no, you good. to Verena Street for for roasting this and. Um, we will be drinking this as we, as yes. we foray into our next uh, yes. crime. Well, since it's so early, I'm going to take it like a huge sip before I get started. <laughs> okay, okay, do that. Uh, while you're doing that, actually, take a few sips because I I had I 
had kind of an afterthought after last week's episode. We were t- we were tasting a, a coffee from Papua New Guinea, and it was only after that that I realized geographically Papua New Guinea is like right next to Indonesia in that whole system of islands, and and it's and it's so funny because. When I used to work at Starbucks, we had a Sumatra coffee, and that was my favorite one. And then Sumatra is an Indonesian coffee. And it was my favorite one. And the reason is because it had this syrupy, kind of like sweet but earthy flavor to it. And I could, and I could, I got to the point, you know, because uh, back then Starbucks was doing a lot of tastings for, for origins. And I don't know if they still do that, but, um, but I could, I, the second I tasted Sumatra, I just knew, oh, this is Sumatra. I really like this. And, and it's interesting because Papua New Guinea, even though it's, you know, it's a different country, but it's in that same part of the world and it probably a lot of the same soil characteristics and everything. And, and it actually has that same flavor to me. Um, so it, so it's, it's really neat how, just different parts of the world, just because of the the dirt, the way the dirt is, that can have that gives coffee this flavor, even through all the process of all the different things that go on, all the altitude differences. Um, I it was it was I was kind of thinking back to those days of drinking Sumatra at Starbucks, and oh, I was yeah. like, wow, it's uh, through all the through all the years, through all the changes of the way that coffee is distributed and and everything that like I can still tell just by drinking this that it's from that part right. of the world, right by you know. Australia and everything, yeah. This is Sumatra. It is Sumatra, yeah. yeah, But I think the bourbon kind of masks that flavor a little bit. Plus, it is a little bit of a darker roast, so you don't get as much of that flavor of the bean. The other thing I was thinking about was, was, uh, and some people will know what uh, will have either remembered that when this was kind of a thing, or maybe even tasted it. um, There was this thing called monkey poop coffee. Do you remember hearing about that? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever try it or know anyone? Okay. (laughs) So the idea was that there somewhere, um, I think, I think in Indonesia there were these little jungle cats that would run around and and eat eat coffee cherries because because the bean is just the seed of the coffee cherry which is a fruit and they would eat them and they would poop them out and the idea was that as sort of like nature's best like like a natural way of knowing what uh, what a little animal in the jungle would would naturally choose the best ones the, the idea was that these little jungle cats oh my would god that's would, extreme it is extreme so so people would go around and and in their feces pick out the beans and and wash them and 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 sanitize them but then they would roast them and because it was such a high-end sort of like a s- snobbish <laughs> um, oh eating feces of a monkey people were paying like two hundred dollars for one cup of this coffee at one time i I haven't heard about it for a while i don't know if that's just Uh, yeah hopefully people were like you know what maybe this is a bad idea yeah well it it got to the point where it was popular enough where i think people were like mac like capitalizing off of it and probably like calling it uh, it was called kopi luwak and and um and i think people were calling it that when it maybe wasn't or you know because like that, that's a You're lot. Not that's, getting authentic. It's very labor. Well, coffee. no, but I mean, like <laughs> to, to follow a monkey uh, cat around in the jungle <laughs> and Somebody pick up. Somebody was its probably <laughs> just like making bank off this. Oh, and oh, it, yeah, and it for probably sure. had like there was probably nothing. They were just drinking poop water, basically. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I bought some when I was in Indonesia. Stop. I, I Did was you drink it. I was in Indonesia in 2010. And I was in the airport, and it said, there was a bag of, of Kopi, Kopi Luwak coffee, and I was like, oh my gosh, this oh, is my chance. Sick. And it was like $25 for like eight ounces, but I was what? like, I'm going to go for it. So I bought you it. Fool. I, <laughs> I bring it home, and uh, me and my friends, we tasted it, and ah. it was it was just very average. It was... Gross! <laughs> you, you never knew that? No! You're sick. <laughs> okay. So, uh, un- yeah, for better or for worse, we don't have any uh, monkey poop <laughs> coffee to try in in these uh studio today oh, on the podcast. that's gross so what did it taste like just like bad coffee like not uh, great yeah like, like coffee that had been roasted and just like sitting around for a while you know Ooh. yeah it was sitting around in that monkey's <laughs> digestive tract that's sick monkey poop coffee i've actually oh, tried interesting. it interesting it's from from the uh from that sort of uh, oceana area and <laughs> well you know what that's something you can say that you did <laughs> i definitely did yep. 
Well, that's very interesting. I did not know that. We will not be trying any of that coffee on the podcast. No, no. I mean, but if I mean, if someone sent us some, you know, you don't think you'd try it? I don't know. I don't think so. I think that's all you. That's okay. all you. I'll get like some Dunkin' Donuts or something that day. All right. All right. <laughs> Well, hey, this has been a stimulating conversation about coffee. <laughs> this, yeah, I wasn't expecting this. Uh, this is fun. Okay. All right. Um, so this the coffee segment has lasted longer than it, it has for a while. So I think it's time for me to pass the baton over to you and we get into our crime for today. All right. So um, today we are going to be talking about the Pan family shootings. Hmm. Um, so I'm going to get started here. In the quiet town of Markham, Ontario, on November 8th, 2010, around 9.30 p.m., 53-year-old Bic Pan arrived home after a line dancing class she attended every Monday evening and changed into her Winnie the Pooh pajamas. Bic and her husband, 57-year-old Han, who was asleep upstairs, had immigrated to Canada in the late 1970s from Vietnam to make a better life for themselves and their children. 21-year-old Felix, who is currently away at college studying engineering, and 24-year-old Jennifer, who is currently in her bedroom watching television. The family was getting ready for bed like any other evening. So flash forward to about 10.30 p.m., 911 receives a call. The caller is a distraught Jennifer Pan. When the 911 operator asks what's going on, she says, quote, Some people just broke into our house and stole all our money. I just heard shots. Pops. I'm tied upstairs. I had my hands tied behind my back. I had my cell phone in my pocket. Please come. Help. Hmm. Okay. So as you may already kind of gather, we're going to be talking about Jennifer Pan today. Yeah. And this is kind of an interesting thing because, and this is something I know that we've talked about is 911 calls. Yes, they're fascinating. They are fascinating. To. So a lot of times when a person who is has committed the crime calls 911, they have a very I mean not all the time, but a lot of the time they have a very interesting way of kind of creating an alibi for themselves or putting in things that if you really stumbled upon a situation like this and you called 911, things you wouldn't say like if you came home and found your spouse shot and you call 911 and say oh my gosh I just came home I was out running errands all day and I tried to call and my husband he's and wearing blue jeans yeah, and he's he, lying he there didn't, he didn't answer and then I, you know our house is ransacked throwing your alibi yeah. into oh by the way like he's shot right it would be like more like oh my god like just as if you had quick. thought beforehand about what you would exactly. say when you call exactly because that's the last thing you would no, be concerned about i think about. the legitimate ones are almost always people completely freaking out right. and they just they're like they can hardly even form a sentence because that's how you naturally would react if you you know a loved one was you know you found killed murdered in your Exactly. House. Uh, exactly. But when people seem so calm and collected and mention all these random details, right. it's about about them, not the person that died. Too. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. it's like nobody cares about your cell phone or, yeah. you know, that they stole your money or even really that you're tied up. Like the right. thing here is that like somebody shot your parents. Yeah. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. So that's one thing I just wanted to mention with mm. that because you and it's interesting if you listen to nine one one calls you will see that mm, a lot. Right, yeah. Um, okay. That's so why I love watching Forensic Files. Yeah. Plenty of chances to listen <laughs> Ooh, to those. Yeah, they all they do usually. They, they play a lot of those. Yeah. Calls. Um. So while the nine one one operator is on the phone, she hears a scream in the background. Um. And they realize that Han, Jennifer's father, is alive. So Jennifer starts yelling, Dad, I'm calling 911. I'm upstairs. And the 911 call captures all of that. Okay. So obviously the ambulance and the police come to the scene. Um, They find Han outside with a neighbor. Um, He's been shot in the face, but he's still alive. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Where in the face? I'm not really sure. I know that it was, he ended up having like, um, part of his neck was like shattered. Oh so I think the bullet might've gone down gosh. and he was also shot uh, twice in the shoulder, I believe. 
Wow, I've heard of people getting shot right in the head, sometimes even like an attempted suicide, and they and they live. Right, I know it's crazy. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so he's Just the right spot. <laughs> yeah, he's still alive. He's outside with a neighbor, um, and of course they take him to the hospital, and he ends up being placed in a medically induced coma so okay. that they can yeah. try to save his yeah. life. Um, so the police go into the home, basically thinking that it's like a burglary, and they the scene is really weird because the house is like there's nothing out of place there's no sign of a break-in there's no sign of you know ransacking or anything like that and they go in the basement and they find jennifer's mother bick pan and she's been shot and she's she's dead Hmm. what is bick short for that's her name oh yeah bick what like it's vietnamese vietnamese oh okay okay yeah Yes. Um, so Jennifer's taken to the hospital because they want to check her out, make sure she's okay. And then they take her to the police station that night because obviously she was the only one who can tell them what happened. You know, they want to get a statement from her, find out who did this. And of course, you know, Han is at the hospital, but I mean, he's, they don't know if he's going to live. They're trying to save his life, mm-hmm. but they're not sure. So... Jennifer's taken to the police station and obviously she's very shaken up and the investigator, his name is Randy Slade. Uh, he's very calm. He's a really cool name. It is cool. Yeah. Randy Slade. Randy Slade, investigator. Slade. <laughs> um, he's really like nice and calming, you know, very Canadian. Like, ah, it's, yeah. you know, it's going to be okay, Jennifer. Mm. Just tell me what you know. You're doing great. You know, it's just like a real, you know, kind of making her feel comfortable. Um, basically, he asked what happened that night. And this is Jennifer's uh, timeline of events for that evening. Okay. So Jennifer said she was watching TV with a friend. Um, he left and then she went up to her room. Her mom came home from dance class Um, And she was downstairs watching TV. Her mom was downstairs watching TV. So Jennifer goes downstairs to say hi to her mom and goes back upstairs to call a friend. So while she's on the phone with her friend, her dad is in his office reading news on his computer. And she starts hearing unfamiliar voices downstairs. And then she hears her mother call for her father. So she peers out her bedroom door and sees three men. One grabs her and forces her from her room and takes her from room to room to collect money. So he says, where's your money? So she ended up giving him $2,500 from money that she had saved that she had in her room. Um, He then takes her to her parents' room where she gives him more money that her parents had. And then he drags her downstairs where there's another man holding her parents at gunpoint. Hmm. They ask the parents where their money is. They ask for the mom's purse and the dad's wallet. And then they tie Jennifer to the banister and tell her, like, you cooperated. Like, good, good job. job. Do they pay her for? <laughs> they pay her with sparing her life. Okay. Um, so then they take the parents to the basement And Jennifer hears them say, you lied to us. Then she hears shots, and then she hears the men leave. So then she has her phone in her waistband of her pants. She cleverly hid it in there when the men were, like, coming to get her. Yeah. And her hands are tied up, but she somehow... (laughs) maneuvers her phone out of her waistband with her tied up hands okay and calls 911 and she's like yelling into the phone she tells the investigator that she turns up the volume and then she's yelling okay. into her flip phone okay for 911 um which is something that they actually had her demonstrate in the interrogation room okay which is kind of interesting to kind of see like yeah. you know so her hands were tied together? Um, they were tied together and then, and then behind to the, her. Behind her the and, then, and then to the banister yes. with not a lot of leeway, I'm assuming. That's what she said. She said that okay. they were tied very tight. Okay. Yes. So 
So something interesting about, so she tells the investigator this yeah. story. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, and I actually watched this interrogation video about a year ago for the first time. I rewatched mm-hmm. it um, over the last couple of days so I could put this together. But um, one of the things that was so weird was it, when she was talking about what happened, she kept referring to the men as gentlemen. Hmm. Which is really odd. Yeah. Someone breaks in your house, steals all your money, ties you up and shoots your parents and you're going to refer to them as gentlemen. Yeah. So that just It's, it's her antifree. It's her antifree. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, I mean not a smoking gun, but it's odd. You right? would say guys right. or like jerks right, or, or something or, yeah, worse than that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that was just something that was kind of like, hmm, that's interesting. Hmm. Um, overall, she had a difficulty describing the men. Um, basically, she said that they were three black men. She said one had dreadlocks. She said one had a Caribbean accent. Uh, she couldn't really describe what they were wearing, except one had a hoodie. And my favorite was when she said that one had a roundish, squarish face with cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> Feature that most people do not have, cheeks. Like cheeks that won't quit. Uh, There was no description of the cheeks. (laughs) Just that they were... Roundish and squarish. A roundish, squarish face. Huh. Yeah. And I'm assuming she's fluent in English, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, she also speaks Vietnamese, but yeah, her English is... I mean, So it's not not due to her inability to... No, no. 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 Nope. (laughs) Not the problem um and you know what i mean i've never been in a situation like this maybe i mean i'm sure there's a lot going on your emotions are high right that's a common thing for people to not uh be able to recall the the way that someone looked because of their panic or whatever right exactly so i mean again like it's not like uh, a definite proof of her guilt or anything but so they interview her that night and then they um she ends up leaving she goes to stay with her aunt and uncle okay so a couple days later on november 11th they bring her in for a second interview again randy slade is the investigator and he basically tells her to retell the story you know Mm -hmm. he's like it's been a couple days you know maybe you've remembered stuff that you didn't remember that night Mm -hmm. so she starts telling the story and she's getting stuff confused. Like she's kind of like saying different things. Like originally she had told the investigators that she saw the men take $1,100 from her parents' bedroom. Mm -hmm. And then on this time she says she didn't know how much they took. She thought maybe it was a couple hundred. So just like kind of little details like that. Yeah. And so Randy Slade does this thing where he tells her to do um, reverse chronology, which is basically telling the story backwards to the beginning. Right. And he tells her that this is a way that it's a memory technique. So it'll help her like refresh her memory. I don't think that's what it's used for. I think it's more to see if the person's lying. Because if you're telling a real story that happened to you, it would be pretty easy. Right. Whereas if you're making something up, Right. It's going to be way more difficult hmm. to try to do that, which it, it was difficult. It took her a very long time. To do the reverse chronology. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she spent a lot of time thinking and, yeah. you know. I think that would be hard for me even if I was telling the truth. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Good story. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, yeah, and it might be difficult. I don't know. But, um. So during the interrogation, she's given a lot of hints to kind of issues that she's had with her parents over the years. And she doesn't really go into it, especially in the first interview. But in the second interview, I believe it's the second interview, um, investor investigator Slade starts kind of getting into that. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, tell me about, you know, these issues that you've had. Um, she basically kind of like hinted to the fact that her parents had taken her cell phone away at one point and a friend had bought her a SIM card and she had a second cell phone they didn't know about Hmm. and just stuff like that. So basically uh, Jennifer kind of goes into her upbringing and her life. Uh, She had a very strict upbringing. 
Her parents were very strict. They expected a lot out of her. She was on a very strict schedule from the time she was a very young child. As far um, as like education? Yeah. I mean, she was expected to be, you know, a straight A student. Um, she had daily piano lessons. She took martial arts. She had wow. band practice when she got older. She played the flute. Figure skating. She was actually hoping to qualify for the Olympics. She was a really... Um, wow talented figure skater eventually she got injured and then mm. that kind of you know went by the wayside but so she was on this very rigid schedule from yeah. the time she was young so once she reached high school her grades started to suffer so she went from being a straight a student to kind of being more of an average student when mm. she got into high school and her parents you know they expected her to be a doctor Eventually, yeah. you know, yeah. they um, eventually they decided that it would be okay for her to be a pharmacist instead because she was very squeamish <laughs> and maybe she couldn't handle being a doctor. Okay. But so, at least a pharmacist. Yeah, at least wow. a pharmacist. That's pretty they demanding. definitely wanted her to be in like the medical yep. field in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and she never felt like she was good enough. Uh, she said her accomplishments were never met with praise. She said her parents were always comparing her to friends or to relatives. You know, why can't you be more like your cousin or whatever? Um, And of course, she was not allowed to date. I think that goes without saying. You know, very strict parents wanted to keep her on, you know, a strict path, not allowed to date. Remind me how old she is right now again? Uh, Well, at this point, she's 24 when the shooting happens. Okay. And she... So she was still living with them. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So when she is a uh, junior in high school, it's actually the summer before her senior year of high school, she's on a class trip to Europe, and she meets a fellow student named Daniel Wong. And Daniel, one night after a uh, band concert, she had an asthma attack, and Daniel kind of was there for her. He helped her through it, and... Since then, they were kind of inseparable. They became really good friends and eventually started dating. Hmm. But because her parents wouldn't let her have a boyfriend, oh. they she had to keep it secret. E- even at age 24? Well, no. At this point, she's in high school. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So she's like probably 17 at this time. This wasn't the fr- friend she was watching TV with, was No, it? no. Okay. Different friend. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. So they date throughout high school. She keeps it a secret. You know, obviously can't let her parents know. And so she's keeping this a secret. She's lying to her parents about this. And then her lies just start to kind of get out of hand. So obviously her father wanted her to graduate, go to university, go to pharmacy school. So she lied to her parents. She never actually graduated high school. She made a fake acceptance letter to the university that they wanted her to go to. Wow. And she wasn't actually going to school. She was teaching piano and she was waitressing <laughs> during this time. So she's still making money. I mean, yeah. You know. Um, so, and then she tells her parents that she's going to stay with a female friend during the week while she attends college. You know, it's going to be easier commute for her. So yep. they agree like, yeah, that sounds like a okay idea. But really, she's staying with Daniel. So three days out of four days out of the week or whatever, she's staying with her boyfriend Mm -hmm. and they have no idea. She actually made fake notebooks full of notes. So she would watch videos on different topics and take notes on them so that her parents would think that she had notebooks with school notes in them. Wow. And she bought textbooks. That arguably is harder than actually going to school. Yeah. You might as well just go to school at this point. (laughs) It's cheaper though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, she bought textbooks to kind of, you know, fake them out. And eventually she ends up buying a fake diploma for $500 on the internet. Wow. With like a hologram or a seal or something. Yeah. To make it look like she graduated. That's crazy. Yeah. You can actually buy that on the internet? I mean, you can buy anything on the internet. I don't know if this is like a dark web. Dark web. Yeah. That sounds pretty illegal. I mean, I don't know. Wow. So, her parents eventually find out that she is living with Daniel because they call her friend that she's supposed to be living with and her friend is like, I think she had like just woken up. It's probably, you know, 9.15 in the morning. She was groggy and she like said like, oh, she's not here. She's with Daniel or something. 
So her parents freak out and they tell her, you know, you have to come back home. So at this point, she's 22. Um, and and um, by the way, is she this all this that you're telling me is, is she telling the police, uh, the investigator all this? Or is this just a little background on like what um, had been she, going on after the fact? She does some of this stuff is background, but a lot of it she did tell the investigators. Okay, she was, so kinda, she yeah. The she, more they interviewed her, the more yeah. It came out. She did okay. tell them that you know she was seeing him in secret. She was lying about going to college. Okay. So the okay. investigators knew all that. Yeah. So they find out that she's at, even though she tells them you know I'm not gonna you know see him or whatever. They find out that they're still seeing each other because they see her drop. They see him drop her off one day, you know, and they kiss or whatever. And so they know that they're still dating and her parents are angry, obviously. And her dad, you know, blames Jennifer's failures and lying on Daniel. You know, it's all his fault. And Jennifer tells the investigators that they didn't like him because he was Filipino, Mm. which I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what Jennifer told the police um in reality daniel was selling drugs oh um and i don't know if the parents knew this or not but i think they could just kind of sense that you know he probably didn't have a job yeah you know he was just you know a giant loser (laughs) total loser (laughs) everybody knows (laughs) so um yeah so obviously they were mad so at this point, uh, they tell her, you know, you can't see him. They take away her phone. They restrict her internet access. And she's 22 at this yeah. point. So she's living at her parents' house. They give her a strict curfew. Uh, she can't... St- Why do you think she felt like she had to move back with them? Um, they gave her a choice saying basically, come back with us and do these things. Or leave with Daniel and like never come back. Oh, okay. So I, she said that she basically was given a choice between Daniel and her family. And in the end, she chose her family. Okay. That's what she tells the police. Okay. Um, she wasn't like financially dependent on them anymore. She, right? She was. Uh, I mean, not really because. Working um, her jobs. Yeah. And, I mean, she was working. She was saving money. Yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, okay, yeah. So it was like a us or him or us kind of thing. Right, yeah. Yeah, so, of course, she tells them she's not going to see Daniel anymore, but she does. You know, they continue to see each other. But eventually, Daniel breaks up with her because he's like, this is just too much. Yeah. Like, I, you're, you're sneaking around. I can never see you. Like, yeah. I'm kind of over this. So, he breaks up with her and he starts dating another girl eventually. So uh, this obviously upsets Jennifer because she's still in love with Daniel and she's very upset that he's moved on. So she tells him that she gets raped, which is a lie. It didn't actually happen, but she wanted attention from him. Yeah. And then she tells him later that somebody sent her bullets in the mail. Huh. And he thought that, and she thought that they were from his girlfriend, like trying to threaten her or whatever. Yeah. But again, that's not true either. Okay. And she tells the investigators about this and that it was a lie. Okay. So they know about that as well. So, you know, she's with her parents, you know, for the next almost two years. So now she's 24 years old. Um, she still, she can't stay out past 9 p.m., Wow. And that's only if her parents approve. So she hardly ever goes anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, again, they give her very limited phone access. She can't drive. Her parents drop her off everywhere she goes. Hmm. And the investigators keep trying to tell her, you know, that's that was so unfair that how your parents treated you. That's, yeah. you know, abuse. How did you deal with that? Um, and <laughs> she kind of try to get her to you know open up bring some stuff to the surface right exactly um but she ends up telling them like well i know i screwed up and in the end it was gonna be you know it was my choice to pick my family Mm -hmm. so that's what she keeps telling them Mm -hmm. so eventually she starts kind of talking to daniel again you know they're kind of you know flirting and talking via text or this is after the murder no this is this is before okay yeah so she's still living with her family. She's still very restricted, but she starts talking to Daniel again. Okay. 
Um, so yeah, so this is all in the second interview. She kind of outlines all this stuff for the police. Okay. And again, she's released that day and she goes back to live with her, you know, aunt and uncle for the okay. time being. So on November 12th, Han wakes up from his coma. Mm. So her father is now awake and he remembers everything from that night. And the police, oh, of man. course, want to interview him yeah. because he's a prime witness. Yeah. And he basically tells them that Jennifer was not tied up. He saw her walking around the house with the guys freely. The, the, the murderers. Right. Yeah. With the gentleman. The, ge- the, the kind gentleman. And he said that he even saw Jennifer talking to one of the guys in a friendly way. Hmm. Kind of like they were buddies. Yeah. So he knows that this is BS. Yeah. He knows that Jennifer had something to do with this. And so now the police know that too. I think they had a feeling, but now hearing yeah. that from Han, like they know yeah, for sure. And in the meantime, they had also been talking to Daniel Wong and they had been analyzing Jennifer's cell phones, including the one that Daniel had given her okay, as like um, a burner phone or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, she, they never found the SIM card. I think she got rid of it, but they found the phone itself and that still had text messages okay. and stuff on it. Um, and they found text to, from Jennifer to a friend of Daniel Wong's. His name was Lenford Crawford. Hmm. Also a cool name. <laughs> Lenford Crawford. A lot of cool names. <laughs> um, and basically kind of like these texts were like organizing a hit on her parents. Were they guy masked in poetry or were they pretty well, straightforward? I, like- I know that a couple of them. So uh, the night of the shooting, there was one, I believe this one came from Lenford that said game time. Okay. Basically telling her like we're almost there, like it's about to happen. And then she texts him and says VIP access. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> People are good. <laughs> so smooth. <laughs> Basically meaning that her house is now open. Okay. <laughs> VIP access. <laughs> Uh, I wonder what the code would have been for like not the house is not open yet. Like maybe uh, uh, not. I, I can't think of any. I'm not that good. It's too early for me. I can't think yeah. of anything. Um, so, of course, they're, you know, doing all this investigating. So they end up bringing her in for a third interview. And this time they um, have her talking to Officer Bill Getz, who tells her basically that he's kind of an expert in analyzing if someone's telling the truth. Okay. So now she's talking to him again, very nice, very calm. But he basically tells her that he has software to analyze her statements to see if she's lying. And he also tells her that there are satellites all over town that have infrared sensors to basically see inside homes and buildings <laughs> to track people's movements hmm. all of which is not true <laughs> yeah but i mean you do what you got to do in yeah. an interrogation <laughs> so you know this interrogation lasts for a very long time i want to say this part itself is like three hours or like three or four hours long and he's just kind of like first starting kind of going through just and, and he's really focusing on, you know, your parents were abusive. This is so unfair. You're an adult. Your parents are treating you like a child. And eventually Jennifer breaks down and she admits to hiring the men to come to her house. But she says that it was to kill her. So she basically says that she hires these guys, basically puts a hit out on herself so she's depressed. She doesn't want to live anymore. Oh, okay, okay. Like she, but can't like do the right. Thing she herself, said that she so. had tried to commit suicide a couple times before, but she just couldn't bring herself to do it. Yeah. So she hires people to kill her. Three people. Three people to kill her. <laughs> well, that would unfortunately probably do the trick. Yeah, except that doesn't really make sense. Not at all. And she basically tells him that she tried to call it off at the last minute, but that they wanted like a um, cancellation fee. 
and jerks. <laughs> this is what you can expect from people that hire themselves yeah, so out. So don't hire, don't hire hitmen. Second person suicide <laughs> services. So she, yeah. So basically, they come to the house because she can't pay this cancellation fee and like kill her family. Is her story? Wow. Um. So he keeps pressing her, basically saying, "This doesn't make any sense. Nobody would do that." Yeah. You know. Did the, her father remember who shot him? Um, I think that he could probably give a description, but I don't think he knew who these people were. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So she never admits it. She won't admit it. She keeps sticking to her story, and eventually he ends up arresting her. He's like, I'm done with this now. Like, he, you know. I'm just, I'm placing you under arrest. Okay. Because we know you did this. And it's kind of funny in this part. She, once he tells her she's under arrest, she's like, I thought you were on my side. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Nobody's on your side, Jennifer. Yeah. Maybe the devil. <laughs> um, so, obviously she's arrested. She's taken to jail. And the trial begins um, in March of... 2014 um so basically before the trial they discovered that daniel wong and jennifer had both planned the hit on her parents and they kind of found this out from text messages between Mm -hmm. you know daniel and these guys and jennifer and these guys um they wanted to pay lenford crawford and his two associates david mill vaganam okay and eric carty ten thousand dollars and I think they gave him like half up front. And Where'd she get all that money? Well, once oh, her parents died, she was going to inherit $500,000 from their life insurance. Oh, wow. So I think she gave them part up front. You know, maybe Daniel footed some of that. And then once she got this $500,000, she was going to be able to pay them the rest. Okay. And then her and Daniel were going to ride off into the sunset. Yeah, sounds so... Perfect. Perfect, yeah. Perfect plan. So, they all end up getting arrested, obviously. Jennifer Pan, Daniel Wong, Lenford Crawford, and David Mill Vaganam. And they all go to trial again. That begins on... Uh, or in March of 2014. So the trial actually lasted 10 months, which is really long. Um, They had over 50 witnesses, including Jennifer herself. She actually took the stand in her own defense. Were there interruptions to the uh, trial at all? I don't think so. I mean, not that I mean, it just took a long time. Yeah. Um, She was on the stand for seven days, which is pretty long. Yeah. Um, And basically she was she was saying, you know, stick with her story about how she had planned the hit on herself because she said that she wanted her brother to benefit from her life insurance policy, which is why she wanted to have herself killed instead of killing herself. Life insurance only pays out if it's accidental death. Well, I mean, it depends on what kind of policy you have. If you have an accidental death policy, yes. But if there are other types of policies that cover murder, but they don't, I don't believe life insurance covers suicide. I don't think any life insurance does. So she would have had, if she had killed herself, obviously nobody would have gotten her life insurance money. Right. So, I mean, this is all crap anyway, but this is what she says Mm -hmm. on trial. Um, And then she says she changed her mind. She wanted to cancel it, but of course she couldn't pay that, that steep cancellation fee. Yeah. So, um, Again, the trial lasted 10 months, ended ending in December of 2014, and all of them received life without the pos- or I'm sorry, life with the possibility of parole after serving 25 years. Okay. So they have to serve 25 years before they're even eligible for parole. Yeah. Um Eric Cardi actually received 18 years because he took a plea deal. Okay. And but he was actually stabbed to death in his cell in 2018 wow so he is no longer alive so once the verdict was read and they were sentenced um han pan and his son felix actually asked for a court ordered no contact order from jennifer so basically telling saying that jennifer could never again contact the family Hmm. so she's completely wow like cut off and 
at the sentencing, Han actually gave a statement that said, I hope my daughter Jennifer thinks about what happened to her family and can become a good, honest person someday. Hmm. And she's currently being held at the Grand Valley Institution for Women in Kitchener, Ontario. Wow. Yep. So that is the story of Jennifer Pan. So many lies. So many lies. And they kind of like a lot of times, like when I was researching this, a lot of like this thing kept coming up talking about tiger parents. Mm -hmm. Do you know what that is? Mm -mm. Basically, it's a... Is it like Tiger King? Kind of, yeah. (laughs) Um, Basically, it's very like a very aggressive parenting style. Helicopter parents. Right, right, where you're very demanding and... Mm -hmm. So they kept saying she was kind of like a victim of this mm-hmm. and she lashed out yeah. in that way. What do you think about that? Um, I mean, uh, it sounds like, it sounds like she was telling the truth about, about that. I mean, and, and uh, I think a lot of, a lot of kids have that. I, lived in South Korea for a couple of years. And that was, I think maybe in Asia, it is more common for parents to push their kids uh, hard, a lot harder than the average parent, especially when it comes to education and sure. like, uh, you know, ensuring your own occupational financial success as an adult. Right. Um, I, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty common. Mm-hmm. You know, but I, I mean, it's also like as you become an adult, I mean, it's your responsibility as to how you deal with that. You right. Don't have definitely. To, uh, you know, you don't have to kill people. <laughs> and a lot of people probably grow up this way. Yeah. And they don't end up murdering their parents. Well, yeah. I mean, some people commit suicide. I've heard of that, too, just because of the the unbearable pressure of it. And it's, you know, it's not it's not a good way to parent. Right. I mean, parenting can't be easy, but um, I guess you have to strike a balance between, you know, encouraging and and um, giving incentives and just and just being there and and saying the things that need to be said, but not, you know, always making them feel like they're loved no matter what. Because it kind of sounds like she came to a point where it's like, well, if I don't get, if I'm not a pharmacist, like I will not be loved, or if I. Right date this guy then i i you know they made her choose between him and them and that's i mean maybe this guy sounds like daniel sounds like he wasn't the greatest guy for her to be with anyway but still giving your child an ultimatum like Mm -hmm. that is it was probably one of the nails in the coffin as far as not literally but like as far as their relationship with their daughter it seems like the more you try to keep somebody away from somebody the more right. they're going to want to be with him. And we've seen this in a couple of our podcasts that we've done. Mm-hmm. Stuff that we've It gives talked it about. extra attraction when you're like, don't ever yeah. be with that person. So yeah. maybe instead of doing that, be like, oh yeah, we love Daniel Wong. Yeah. We invite <laughs> him over for, for dinner. Yeah. He can live with us. Yeah. Basically arrested development <laughs> in a, in a, in a nutshell, like like as soon as someone can have something they don't want it anymore, right. or, or like George Costanza, I feel like he does that in Seinfeld all the time, yeah. <laughs> or, or Jerry too. It's like once once a girl wants to be with them that they don't want to be with them uh, yeah. anymore. They're not interested. Yeah, yeah. So one thing I was thinking about was that it wasn't really. Uh, it, it seems a little, uh, you know, uh, off the book for for. Um, it it doesn't seem right for law enforcement to like tell lies about software and stuff like that, but at the same time, when you're dealing with someone who's telling so many lies, and you start to see evidence that they are, I don't know. It yeah. seems, I guess it seems how you could justify like, well, okay, two can play this game. Like right. we're going to tell you a bunch of lies and see if it and see if it can can help crack your story. If she actually believed it, right? I mean, it I, mean seems I think she weird. did. I mean. And, you know, yeah, it may not be right, but it's definitely legal. I mean, the police can tell you anything they want. Okay. Um, You know, within reason. Obviously, they can't lie to you about, like, your rights or something like that. But they can tell you what they, Like, so-and-so in the other room said you did this. What do you say about that? Yeah, your your co-conspirator is... Right. Never mind. I'm not going to say that word. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, I didn't know that that yeah. was that was like uh, legal in the in the justice system. It is legal, yeah, and it's actually. And I was kind of uh, reading a little bit about. Th- there's something called the read technique, which is a very popular um, interrogation technique. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to do a little more research on it, and then I just didn't. It's probably a whole. It's lot a, of stuff. yeah. There's a lot of stuff. It's very. It's pretty. You know. There's a lot of steps to it. It's like a nine step process. So maybe we can talk about it another time. Hmm. But it's been seen as like controversial. Yeah. Because they say that it, um, like, creates false confessions. Especially okay. from like juveniles. Right. But the thing is, like, Jennifer was not a juvenile. Right. She may have been treated like a juvenile, but. Yeah. I mean, if you have nothing to hide, I mean, who cares what they say to you? You're right. not going to. I mean, if you didn't do it, you didn't do it. Right. If there's a machine that can see into your house, then right. if you yeah. didn't do anything wrong, then yeah. you should be like, well, fine. Like, well, show yeah. me the video. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. So. Any other comments, questions? That was it. This has been fascinating. I had never heard that story before. And I had never heard about that monkey poop coffee. You never knew I drank monkey poop. (laughs) I can't believe I never told you that. Yeah, I I definitely did. The only thing is, in retrospect, the prices I saw the the coffee going for, based on that, even the fact that I paid $25 for eight ounces makes me think that it might have been mm, like a knockoff. You like got just regular, like non poop coffee <laughs> oh, for that man. cheap. Um, I hate when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> I hate when I think I'm drinking poop and it's just regular coffee. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, today's been very interesting. We want to thank everyone for listening. We just hit our 200 listener Ooh. mark this past week, so we're very happy about that, and it's thanks to you all. Yes. Um, thank you for the calls and the text messages and Facebook messages uh, saying that you're enjoying what we're doing, and we're going to keep doing this at least once a week. Definitely, and if uh, you like it, subscribe. Please subscribe. And like our Facebook page. That's uh, right. True, or Coffee with Crime Podcast. That's right. Coffee with Crime Podcast. I'm Lewis. I'm Alexi. See you next time.